This evening's reading is from Matthew, starting at chapter 8, verse 23, and you can find that on page 813 of the Church Bibles. And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. So they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Well, thank you very much, Laura, for reading. Thank you, musicians, and Ella, for leading us through um, up to this point in our service. And we're going to be looking at this astonishing passage in Matthew 8 and 9 tonight over the next half an hour. Also, it will help you to keep it open, so if you want to flick back to um, page 813, just the beginning of that passage, we'll work our way through these three astonishing miracles uh, one by one. And before that, though, let's come and pray um, to God. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, we thank you for um, your words, but we thank you particularly for the accounts we have of the life of Jesus Christ, uh, and particularly this evening for Matthew's Gospel Help us, we pray, as we try to understand it. Help us, um, by your Spirit, to see who Jesus is, uh, to see that clearly, um, but for that knowledge to change us, to be in awe and wonder at him, uh, but also uh, that we might follow him more closely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I wonder, have you ever had one of those days? You know, the kind of day when from the minute you wake up, you're here, there, and everywhere, One thing after another, after another. People to see, work to do, from morning till night. 
and you are absolutely knackered at the end of it. You can't wait for that moment when your head hits the pillow and you can turn off the lights. Uh, You know that kind of day? Maybe uh, today's one of them, maybe a day this week. Well, it's been one of those days uh, for Jesus. Jesus was a human being like us. He knew physical weariness. He knew exhaustion. He knew the stresses and strains of everyday life. And he knew the demands of people. And he knew what it was to be desperate to go to sleep. We join Matthew chapter 8 at the end of a long day. Jesus has been preaching and teaching. He's done amazing miracles of healing. He's driven out demons. And all the while, the crowds have been pressing him for more and more and more. Last Sunday night, we saw him late in the evening. He was trying to get uh, to the shore, to get onto a boat, to finally find some peace and quiet. And even on the way there, two men came to him and they pressed him. They wanted to ask him questions. They wanted to speak to him. And he took time to speak to them about what it would cost to follow him. It's been relentless and he is exhausted. He finally makes it to the seashore. He gets into the boat. The disciples jump in as well and they push off from the beach and at the end of verse 24 Jesus goes to the back of the boat and he sits down and before you know it he's absolutely sparko he's fast asleep we're being shown that Jesus is fully human he's a man like any other who has reached the limit of his energy and he just can't keep his eyes open any longer that's where our story begins with Jesus the man But by the end of this passage tonight, we will come to understand that Jesus must be far more than just a man. Three astonishing miracles of power. They reveal to us that Jesus is one who has supreme authority, authority over creation, authority over the forces of evil, and authority to forgive our sins. The question that the disciples ask in verse 27 is really the question that our passage answers for us tonight. What sort of man is this? What sort of man is Jesus? It's a great question to ask. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not yet a Christian. And that's exactly the question that you've come with. What sort of man is Jesus? You want to know who he is? Well, we're glad that you're here. What sort of man is Jesus? Well, let's look at these three miracles in turn. Now, just to point out before we dig into the passage, if you've been a Christian for a while and you may have heard these miracles told before from one of the other gospel accounts, Things might seem slightly different here, and you might have some questions about that. Don't be thrown by that. Matthew's got his own method. Uh, He's economical in style. He tends to be economical, so he tends to cut his material down. Uh, It's almost half the length, these stories, than you would find in Mark's Gospel, um, for example. But he also orders things slightly differently, and he includes some different details that the other writers don't. Matthew's packaging these stories together, and he's doing it deliberately, to make his point about Jesus' power um, all the more sharply. So that's what's going on. Let's look at the first one, um, which shows Jesus' authority over creation. Matthew 8, 23 to 27. 
And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show, uh, Saving Lives at Sea. Um, It's on BBC Two, you can watch it on iPlayer. And it's a show about the amazing work of the RNLI. And so you watch as the the lifeboat crews, they scramble to get their boats off the shores, um, and they get to people in distress in these horrendous um, conditions. If you're the kind of person who likes being terrified, and there are some people out there um, like that, that's the show for you. Um, I've got one child who refuses to watch it because it's just too scary. And sometimes you watch it like this through your fingers. So maybe that's a little challenge this week. Go find it on iPlayer. Watch one episode of Saving Lives at Sea um, just to see what happens to your heart rate. There's something about the destructive power of the sea that makes us go white with fear. Sea of Galilee was notorious uh, for these kinds of storms that come quickly off the mountainsides without warning. But even so, this storm is a particularly bad one. It is a great storm, verse 24. Howling wind and rain, the boat is being swamped by the waves, and the disciples, some of whom of course are fishermen who've lived on the sea for all of their lives, they are in no doubt as to how drastic the situation is. They are going down. And so in their desperate state, they turn to this exhausted man in the back of the boat. They wake Jesus. Listen to what they say in verse 25. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And sense the fear in their voices, but they've turned to the right man. Jesus is the man, the only man who can save them, the only one with the power greater than that of such a powerful storm. But notice that before Jesus deals with the storm, he deals with the disciples, verse 26. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Isn't that a pretty outrageous thing to say? The boat is sinking under their feet. There's just moments before they go under and they all die. And Jesus takes time out to ask them this question. Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Jesus sees this storm as an opportunity for his disciples to be grown in faith. And we are meant to see, I think, that this incident does reflect on the nature of discipleship. Um, In the previous verses we looked at last week, we heard Jesus call us uh, to give him our highest allegiance, to follow him, even though it be costly for us. And that's what these disciples do. Verse 23, his disciples followed him. And where does Jesus lead them? Straight into a storm. And we're meant to see, I think, immediately that following Jesus does not mean freedom from danger. In fact, it may lead us into danger. And indeed, it's going to mean that for the 12. Their lives will be put at risk regularly for following Jesus, as many Christians' lives are at risk across the world today. What are they and we? What are we to learn here that will stand us in good stead 
for a dangerous future following Jesus. We're to learn to trust Jesus in the midst of it. We can trust him that in the midst of the most terrifying and powerful forces this world can throw at us, he can deal with it. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? The great storm becomes a great calm at just a word from Jesus. It is an astonishing act of power over creation. What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? He is a man, certainly. He was asleep like any other man. But he cannot be a mere man. No, this is divine power. Listen to the words of the psalmist, Psalm 107 and verse 23. You can look it up later on. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love and his wondrous works to the children of man. A man, but no mere man. The Lord himself, the psalmist, declares it. Jesus fulfills it. Fully human and fully divine. That's miracle one. Jesus' power over creation. It shows that Jesus is both man and God. Now, if we were in any doubt as to whether that's what it's saying, whether that is the identity of Jesus, uh, well, our second miracle confirms it. And it's declared to us by a surprising source in this next episode. So let's uh, turn there. This is verses 28 to 34, uh, where we see Jesus' authority over evil. Verse 28. And when he came to the other side, the other side of the lake, to the country of the Gadarenes, Two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. Now Mark, in his gospel, uh, introduces us to one of these men who is called Legion. Uh, But Matthew reveals that there were two of them. And again, we find Jesus is confronted with a desperate situation. Two men who live in the tombs, that alerts us to a problem straight away. They're described as being so fierce that no one could pass that way. These are violent, these are dangerous men. People are so scared of them that they avoid the area completely. 
But we're told that there's something behind their violence, that they are possessed by demons. Demonic power has gripped them, so much so, in fact, that the demons can speak through them. Now, while the Bible is clear that evil spiritual powers, they're a constant and a a real and present danger for all humanity, it's fair to say that this kind of demon possession, uh, this sort of deep aggressive evil that takes over a person's life, um, it is real but rare. So in the Bible, there's just a few instances of this described in the Old Testament, um, not very many. Then there are lots around the life of Jesus, and the lives of the apostles. And it seems that this kind of activity is heightened by the arrival of Jesus on the earth and by the birth of the church. Now today I think we shouldn't see a demon around every corner. Um, We shouldn't see a demon in every distressed person that we meet, it's rare. But neither should we be so naive to think that Satan no longer works in this way. This kind of thing is still real. And it is scary. But the point here is not to scare us. It's to show us that Jesus has authority even over this kind of extreme spiritual evil. The men rush up to Jesus and the demons speak through them, or rather, actually, they scream through them, verse 29. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now notice uh, two things here. Number one, they know who Jesus is. The answer to the disciples' question, what sort of man is this? Well, it's answered by the demons, and it's answered clearly. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? They know who he is. Actually, it's interesting that in the first half of Matthew's Gospel, right up to chapter 14, the end of chapter 14, uh, the human beings, they don't grasp fully who Jesus is. But the spiritual realm, well, they know full well his full identity, his divine identity. And so back in chapter 1, the angel met with Joseph and declared to Joseph that Jesus would be Emmanuel, God with us. Then in chapter 3, God God the Father, he speaks from heaven at Jesus' baptism and he says, this is my beloved son. Then chapter 4, Satan meets Jesus in the wilderness and tempts him in the wilderness and calls him the son of God. And now here, these demons, they know full well that that is who he is. What sort of man is this? The son of God. They've met him before in the heavenly realm before he came to this earth to be born as a man. They know he's the son of God. That's how he can have such power. That's the first thing to notice. They know him. They know who he is. But the second and most important thing, I think, is that they also fear him. Have you come here to torment us before the time? They know that a day is coming in the future where the Son of God will deal with evil once and for all. There's a time coming when Jesus' kingdom will come on earth in its fullness and everything wrong will be fixed 
and Jesus will cast Satan and his demons into the fires of hell to be tormented for eternity. The demons, they recognise that Jesus has this absolute power over them and over their destiny. They've just been hoping that they had a bit longer before it came to pass, before they meet their doom. See, terrifying as demons might be, the demons themselves, they quake in the presence of Jesus. Now, it seems that demons don't like to be homeless, and so they beg Jesus, look, if you cast us out, would you send us away into the herd of pigs? Verse 31, and he said to them, go. He gives them permission. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Now, we might feel sorry for the poor pigs. I feel a little bit sorry um, for them. Um, But the point is that their demise, it demonstrates that the demons really did leave uh, these men. Jesus has absolute authority over the most powerful forces of evil. And one day he will send all of them, not into a lake of water, but into a lake of fire. Now Matthew's concerned not so much with what happened to the two men that Jesus rescues here. Mark tells you a lot about at least one of them. You can turn there to find out what happened to them. He's particularly concerned about what it tells us about Jesus' power. And I think actually the reaction of the town folk, that helps us uh, to see that. It's too much for them. To these guys, they were fearful of the fierce two men and the power that inhabited them. They're much more fearful of the power of the one who can drive them out. And they beg him to leave. Verse 34, behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Now that might surprise us. We might expect them to just bow down and worship Jesus um, right there. But this reaction, I think, is often the reaction of many today, that, that on countering the absolute authority of Jesus, the Son of God, the one who has supreme power, Well, we just don't want that kind of figure in our lives. You can't control this kind of person. You can't put this kind of person in a compartment in your life. You you can't say to him, well, you can only touch certain things that you're happy for him to change. He can't become some kind of divine assistant who only gets to help you when you ask for it. This is the king. If he has this kind of authority to drive out evil, well, he'll get rid of things in our lives that we know are wrong, but which we'd much rather keep hold of. To allow him to exercise his full authority over us is a thing that we often don't want and a thing that we're scared of even. And so we push him away. The townsfolk here, they miss something crucial Uh, that we must understand. We need to come to accept that he is not only powerful, but good. That anything he does in us will will be to save us, will be to heal us, 
and never to harm us. Only then will we welcome him when we accept that his astonishing power is coupled with his amazing compassion. And that leads us into our final miracle where we see that compassion. Jesus has authority over evil. That's the message of the second miracle. But finally then, here's the third, verse, chapter 9, verse 1 to 8. Jesus' authority to forgive sins. 9 verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his, his own city. And behold... Some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, what are you expecting him to say? You're expecting him to say, well, get up and walk. We're expecting another demonstration of Jesus' power, right? That's what we have been seeing in the last two miracles. We know that he can heal him. He's done this loads of times already in this gospel. He's just calmed a great storm. He's just driven out ferocious demons. This one's easy for him. But this is a miracle with a twist. Jesus said to this paralyzed man, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Take heart. Gentle word of compassion to a suffering man. My son, term of affection and love. Your sins are forgiven. And the room is stunned. What? Your sins are forgiven? I mean, come on, Jesus. It's so obvious what this man needs. He needs healing, not forgiveness, doesn't he? His big problem is his paralysis, isn't it? But Jesus sees that this man has an even greater need. He has an eternal need. If Jesus heals this man's legs, well, they will work, at least until he gets old. But then they'll fail again. And one day he'll die. And what use will they be then? Now, Jesus knows that this man's deepest need is to deal with his separation from God because of his sins. He needs that fixed above all else. And so Jesus' compassion moves him to forgive his sins there and then. And then there are some in the room who are stunned for a different reason. Verse 3. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. They're outraged because Jesus has claimed an authority. He's claimed authority to do something that only God can do. And they're right about that, of course. God alone can forgive sins because sins are committed against God, so God alone has the right to pardon them. They're right about that. But they're wrong that it's blasphemy, aren't they? It would be blasphemy for me to say this. It would be blasphemy for anyone else to say this, but not Jesus. The angel, the one who announced Jesus' birth to Joseph, already quoted him once tonight. This is the full quote, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 to 23. 
Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's not blasphemy, is it, for Jesus to say this? Because Jesus is God with us. So he can forgive sins. And he goes on to prove it to them, verse 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. Do you see, it's, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven than to say rise and walk because there's no way to confirm whether sins are forgiven. Who's to say whether you have that authority or not? But if you were to say rise and walk, well, the proof of your authority to do that, that would be obvious, wouldn't it? Because they'd either get up and walk or they won't. And Jesus can do both. He heals this paralysed man and he proves that the greater thing His authority on earth to forgive sins is also what he can do. He can do things that only God can do because that's who he is. We're not told what the scribes make of this, but we do find out what the crowds think. When the crowds saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Three miracles packaged together. Do you see the accumulative force of Matthew's picture of Jesus? Come back to the disciples' question. What sort of man is this? He is a man. He's one who gets weary and sleeps like the rest of us. But he cannot merely be a man. He is the Son of God with divine power, divine authority like no other. He has power to overcome all the great powers that threaten humanity. At his voice, the waves are stilled. At his command, the demons flee. At his word, the paralyzed walk, and the sins of men are forgiven. Have you ever come across anyone like this? The people who met him, they marveled at him. Some of them didn't cope with him. They asked him to leave. Some of them both feared him and glorified God because of him. How will you respond to Jesus tonight? What is the right response to someone like this? Well, what does the passage say is the right response? Remember Jesus' words in the boat to encourage his disciples. Why are you afraid... O you of little faith. And then chapter 9, verse 2. Paralyzed man and his friends. Did you notice that? Jesus saw their faith and said, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. That's the response. It's faith. 
have faith in Jesus, this God-man, and come to know his awesome power at work for you and in you. Remember that his power is coupled with his compassion, a compassion that will cause him in time to lay down his life as a substitute for you at the cross. If you trust him and you follow him, well, you can know that his power, that he will use his power to save you from disaster and death, to deliver you from evil and to forgive you from all of your sins. What sort of man is this? Let's pray. Our Lord God, as we come to the end of a passage like this, we simply praise you for the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we confess that we have just started to glimpse how awesome and powerful and amazing he is. We thank you for what you've revealed to us tonight of of him and his power. We thank you that he uses his power not to harm us, but to save us. And we thank you, Lord, that when we trust in him, we need to have no fear because we know him. Father, help us as we think on these things, help these things to sink deeply into our hearts that we may know more and more the amazing power of the Lord Jesus. Amen.